right? I mean, when you say there's no secret sauce, I feel like everybody asks, what's the secret sauce of finding yeah. deals? And I've said this before, and it's a little tongue in cheek, but it's know exactly what you want and tell everybody. Welcome to Invest for the Win, where we discuss strategies to win at the game of private investing. Whether you're a novice or a seasoned investor, tune in to hear experts break down complex topics and reveal emerging trends in private investing. Head over to investforthewin.com to find links to these episodes and additional content. Position yourself to invest for the win. Hosted by the founders of FTW Investments, Logan Freeman, Corey Tuck, and Parker Webb. On today's episode, we discuss the difference between being a real estate investor and being in the business of real estate investing. We will explore the benefits of passive investing as well as the pitfalls of active investing for the unprepared. We explore topics like diversification, risk, real estate operations, acquisitions, and portfolio allocation. Welcome back to the Invest for the Win show. On today's show, we're going to be discussing the difference between being in the business of commercial real estate investing versus simply being a real estate investor. We get a lot of questions about how to get started in commercial real estate investing and if someone should be active or passive. You can take advice and recommendations from a lot of people, but ultimately it's a question that you can only answer for yourself. Parker, give us your high level thoughts. We've talked a lot about the differences here. Let's start there and then we'll dive into each one specifically. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, I think you, you said it spot on. There's, there's being in the business of real estate investing and there's being a real estate investor. You can think of it as being an active investor in real estate which means you're you know, actually going out and identifying opportunities, managing those opportunities, pushing values to the extent you can, et cetera, taking a risk um, versus being a passive investor where your risk is typically limited to whatever your principal investment is. Um, and that's true no matter what you're doing. If you're doing, if you're investing in you know, private funds or public REITs or private syndications, um, if you're doing so as a limited partner or um, you know, just a passive investor, then you're not actively in the business of real estate investing, right? You're, you're getting a portfolio allocation for yourself into the real estate asset class. Um, and I think a lot of people, they think about real estate investing, and they think that the way to do that is typically to be an active investor. They think, I, wanna, I want some real estate exposure, so I'm going to go buy a house. Well, that's probably a terrible idea, right? I mean, it's probably not the right way to do it unless you have the time, you understand the marketplace, you're gonna, you have the expertise, or you're willing to learn and become an expert in that space. Uh, you have the relationships, you understand how to manage the physical, the accounting, et cetera. And so there's just a lot of factors that go into managing a piece of real estate. And especially on, on that side, when a lot of people get into single family homes, because they're easier to get into from the standpoint of, you know, people understand them, they live in a house, they can go find a house, go buy a house uh, and put a tenant in it or whatever. But what people miss is that even on a smaller scale, there's all the problems that we have at the large scale. You have to understand structural, you know, a little bit of structural engineering, a little bit about mechanical, electrical, plumbing, a little bit about roofs and design. You have to understand the marketplace. What is this property worth today? What is this property going to be worth? What can I rent it for? If I spend so much money to improve this property, am I going to get more money? And is that going to add more value? And so there's a lot of factors that go into actively investing in real estate. Versus passive investing, where you're going to say, hey, I've got a portfolio that I want to allocate 10, 20, 30, 40, 50%, whatever that amount is that you decide to allocate into real estate. And you can go identify opportunities to do that. And that point, what you're doing is you're really, 
you're vetting firms, right? You're vetting people and firms that go and do this on your behalf. And so this could be public REITs that you can go buy through your broker or whatever else, um, that you can get exposure into real estate through public REITs. This could be private syndications where um, groups like ours are going out and identifying opportunities. Typically in the private space, there's a lot of value adds. We're going to go buy something where we can go and push revenues, control operating expenses, push values, et cetera. Um, that's different, right? Because your decision that you have to make is you have to look at the people who are doing this on your behalf and say, you know, what do I need to know about them? How, do I trust them? What is their track record? You know, what, how do they engage in this business? What happens when things go wrong, et cetera, right? And so you have to find the people who are going to do this. And then ultimately they go in and get you that real estate exposure and into your portfolio. But that's very different from going down and trying to understand everything about the real estate, the real estate marketplace, et cetera, all on your own. That's a great delineation between the two. And, you know, I think right now, and Corey, I'm going to have you chime in on this, but it is a very competitive marketplace right now to get involved in this business. You know, recently was on two or three different calls where somebody said, hey, I really want to get involved and, and start what you guys um, have been able to accomplish and, and start a company in this. And my advice was that, you know, it's going to be a tough time to do that right now because there is a lot of people trying to get into this space. You know, it seemingly a lot of people are making a lot of money in the commercial real estate space. And so, you know, a lot of people flock to that. But Corey, talk through the competition in the marketplace right now and trying to get going. And I think that's a big part of, of where people need to kind of figure out where their role should be in this space. And um, I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you just uh, think about to find a good deal, a top 1% deal, you're obviously looking through 100 deals. Yeah. You know, assume that you are, you know, you're targeting that 1% deal. Now you have to compete against other people to go and get that deal. So you have to put out an LOI. You have to go and follow through the contract negotiations. You have to follow through with the due diligence. So your yeah. hit rate's much less than that, uh, you know, that one in a hundred. So, you know, for us, it's building the systems around uh, sourcing properties, uh, being able to analyze those properties in a quick fashion um, so we can get an LOI quickly out to a, uh, to a seller at this point in time. So and just kind of building the processes around that. So, uh, I mean, what we see is we have to be actively engaged in the market continuously talking to brokers, talking directly to owners to go and find those diamonds in the rough for us to go and do. So it's an active involvement on an ongoing basis. And uh, it's, as somebody has said recently, it's a knife fight on a daily basis. So. It is definitely a knife fight. And, you know, a lot of feedback that people, um, you know, give or have the challenge with is finding opportunities, right? Is like, how do I find opportunities? And recently, all three of us were or well, all two of us, Parker and Spirit, were at a conference and there was no secret to finding opportunities. You, you know, when I think about all of the transactions and the, and the deals that we've been able to come up with and, and execute on, it typically is tied to some sort of relationship that one of us has. And if you're just getting started in the space, one big benefit of working with somebody in an indirect fashion that we'll talk about here shortly is that they have those relationships. So you're kind of tapping into that. Uh, and that's a lot of, of uh, value that you have there because there's one, you have to find opportunities, but two, you know, every broker is really good at making every deal look really good. So when you're talking about large transactions, um, it, it can very difficult to understand what is a good deal and what isn't. And so relying on that knowledge 
experience and track record is, is, is extremely important as well. So one point I wanted to make there. So, and look, yeah, I, ahead, that, right? I mean, when you say there's no secret sauce, I feel like everybody asks, what's the secret sauce of finding yeah. the field. And I've said this before and it's a little tongue in cheek, but it's know exactly what you want and tell everybody. Right. But it's part of what it is. We also have to know who to tell. Right. And so right. that comes from relationships. It comes from knowing who's actively engaged in the marketplace having a, a set of criteria so that you know what you can buy and that you can make good on, right? Because what, what you want to be able to do is tell a story and say, I know that this is what I want. This is my thesis. This is exactly what I know I can execute on. I know the right people that are in the marketplace that are identifying these opportunities. I'm going to tell them, I'm on your list. I'm on your list. I'm on your list. Make me your first call. And that takes time. It takes yeah. energy. It takes effort. It takes you know a lot of diligence on your end to, to get that first call. It absolutely does. I mean, and no, no tread on brokers here because Parker and Corey or Parker and myself are both brokers ourselves, but we, we understand that game. And it, it really comes down to, you know, if an opportunity comes, who is this person going to call? And you got to be on that short list. And that just takes time. There is no secret sauce to that. You just have to, you know, be building those relationships. You got to be getting beers with, with the brokers. You got to be underwriting their properties, giving feedback. And this is one thing that I, I, I really harp on quite a bit when I'm talking to new people trying to get actively involved is, you know, <clears throat> hey, right now you might not win any of these deals, but at some point, the competitive marketplace will shift in a way where there's less buyers. And if you're not doing the work now to build those relationships with those brokers, when that opportunity exists, they're not going to call you. And so while it can feel like a knife fight because every deal goes to best and final and, you know, we don't win the opportunity when that shifts, those brokers will be calling you and you might be on that short list, which I think is, is really important. So uh, just one point I wanted to make there, and, and there is no secret sauce. You just kind of got to be, you know, staying in the market, right? Corey's always saying, hey, time in the market versus timing the market. And that's really important, I think, in this business. I think, uh, or another little quick phrase there would be, uh, figure out in the up cycles how to close in the down cycle, right? You got to put the pieces mm -hmm. in place so that when the opportunity arises, that you can close. And when everybody else is scared, if you're the group in there saying, nope, I get it, I understand it, I understand the value, I understand the opportunity, I understand how to make sense of it, and I can close, and you put all the pieces in place, including capital stack and operations to make good when the market's you know, not going in the way that brokers would like, you can be a broker's best friend at that point. Absolutely. I'm going to talk through, let's transition into a little more detail on what being in the business of commercial real estate investing actually entails, right? So we've talked a little bit about finding your own deals. You know, that's a big component of, of being in this business. But then you have to have knowledge around renovations and maintenance. You have to be able to guarantee a loan. You have to be able to get a loan. You have to be able to know leasing strategies for your different property that you have, whether that be a multifamily property, um, you know, any type of industrial property or an office or retail property, right? And you have to understand where those tenants and residents are going to come from. And so that's a big piece as well. It's not just, you know, buying something and saying they will come because that's, you know, as us three can can kind of talk to, that's not the, that's not the methodolo methodology that you want to uh, implement. And then you need to be able to take, you know, assets full cycle, guys. So talk through that, right? Like, okay, everybody wants to buy a piece of real estate, okay? The, what, what we hear a lot in the marketplace is, how do I find a piece of real estate to buy, right? Okay, that's fine. 
what happens after closing, right? That's where the magic really happens. Let's talk through that. I think too many people think that closing is where like, you're like, oh, I've done my job. It's like, no, 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 your job just began. You just bought yourself a job. I mean, that's, that's, that's really, that's how this works, right? Um, and taking things full cycle, you know, Corey, you can come in here too, but obviously this is, you have, you have to balk in with a business plan. You don't just buy this thing. You have a business plan. So you put a business plan together and you go out and execute on that business plan. And that's, again, complicated. You have to know a lot of things. You have to understand um, what kind of improvements should I make? What should those improvements mm-hmm. cost? You know, and, and when I get three bids from GCs, are they all wrong? Are they all right? I mean, there's a lot of stuff that people don't understand there that are, you know, sort of passive investors. And, and when, the more you get into it, the more you see, the more data you have whether or not you're keeping it in a nice database or, you know, something like Corey would like to put together, or you just have a, a gut feel because you've had enough conversations with contractors to know what something should cost. You've got to know what it should cost, um, what you should do. So what you should do, what it should cost, and then what the value you're going to get out of doing. Uh, and I think a lot of times people go in there too, and they'll, they'll spend money on something, but it doesn't actually add any value to the buy. Yeah. I mean, the other thing I would add is when you're buying a, property, you're buying a business. So you're buying employees that are going to be on site going and leasing and, you know, running through and fixing things. You're buying, uh, you know, a place where people live. uh, And it's the relationships you build with those people during your period of ownership and building those relationships. So they're good tenants, no expectations. So you're, you're buying a business, not just a piece of property when you make a transaction. Yeah. One term that I like to say too, is there's nothing passive about actively owning real estate. (laughs) And if you're taking that mentality, uh, it's not going to perform like you, you know, you want it to. Right. And and I think that's a big part of this too, is understanding that difference because yeah, it's great to find a property. It's great to close. All those things are important. That's when the real work starts and you got to go implement that business plan that you put together. Hopefully you have one. And so, you know, Parker, if you don't have anything else to add on the active side, Let's jump into the passive side or just being a real estate investor. Uh, well, one thing is, yeah, I do want to real quick before we jump into the passive side of being a real estate investor. There's a lot of, comp- I mean, first of all, we we operate both as passive and active, right? I mean, when we put our money into our deals, we're actively managing it. But we think about portfolio allocation as a passive investor, just like anybody else does. Um, I think one of the one things is that it's easy in real estate if everything's going well, right? That's right when your building's leased up and your tenants are paying rent and everything's going well and the marketplace is great and you got cheap debt, et cetera, right? It's all great. What's a lot harder and it takes time to build the skills is when, you know, things go poorly. Mm-hmm. You have to understand how to firefight and how to get your way through that. As an example, I redeveloped a shopping center that we completed the renovations of in March of 2020, which is when lockdown started basically nationwide. Right. Yep. And so we had gone through this process where I had spent two years negotiating with the city to get incentives. We had closed on the property. We had been renegotiating with some tenants, et cetera, et cetera. Um, we go through this process. We start spending all this money to renovate the shopping center. Everybody's excited about it. Yada, yada, yada. We go here. We say, great. Now we've got all this. We've renegotiated tenants. We've moved some tenants around. We've got these blocks of space that are perfect for us to release in the marketplace and lockdown. And we had to sit on that for a year before we got another tenant in that building. Right. But what do we do? We figured it out. We understood how to do some different things. We understood how to work with our tenants. We got actively involved in and managing those tenants and making sure that they had what they needed so that they could stay in business and they could continue to pay rent. And we we stabilized. We said, look, 
we're going to have to sit on this for a little while. Fortunately, we're in a good position. We're covering our debt, yada, yada, yada. Um, and that was kind of a calculated risk, right? That's the difference between value add and development. If we started with a ground up deal and it was vacant and we delivered in March of 2020 and we we're sitting on it with zero cash flow, that would have been a whole lot different. So I think understanding that risk and there are always things that are going to happen. I don't, other than Bill Gates, I don't know who was expecting the COVID shutdown to happen. So, <laughs> uh, so I think, you know, you, if you're, you got to be prepared for the things you're unprepared for and people miss that. Uh, and don't, don't think about that when it comes to, to active real estate investing. Yeah. And the other piece I would add on the active side is obviously at FTW, we have a team uh, right. that we work with. So we have, we're a true business. We have 12 employees. Uh, we have people that specialize and on a daily basis, think about asset management, administration, due diligence. So it's, everybody is developing their expertise on our team to, you know, make the best project, to source the best project, to look at the project, analyze it the best, to execute on the business plan the best. And everybody on a daily basis is trying to figure that out. Yeah, those systems and processes with, with the team is so important, especially if you're trying to do anything at scale, right? We're not interested in doing anything that's not scalable at this point in our careers, right? It's, it's like we've seen what it takes to build a company and to be successful in this business. And that's at scale. You have to have the ability to, I'll say, delegate to the right team members, right? And I think that's extremely important. And you also got to have systems and processes in place that uh, work whenever you're not necessarily working, right? And so um, I know Corey and Parker, very involved in data of our portfolio, looking at other parts of, of the business as well. Those are all things that have to be built, you know? There's not an off-the-shelf you know, solution for you as a real estate investor to say, okay, I'm going to go buy this app and that's going to run my commercial real estate business. Uh, Maybe we'll build that, right? Uh, you know, uh, that, that'd be an aspirational goal, but you just can't do that. It takes you, it takes people, and it takes uh, your involvement to do that at scale. And I think that's really important. What you do instead is you say, okay, I can't do all that, or I don't want to do all that, or I'm not going to build all that. What I'm going to do is find people who have done it, and I'm going to invest with them, Yep. right? Because I think too often people say, you know, so, so how does this business work, right? Obviously, we take fees, we take promotes, we take risk, right? On, on, on behalf of our investors, we take a lot of risk and we put a lot of our own money in these deals. And we take fees to pay for our operation or whatever else. People say, well, the fees, you know, if I, if I didn't pay you those fees, look at what my return would have been. I was like, I would love to have seen you go out and do what we did. Exactly. On your own. And understand what the value of those fees are because those fees pay for the people who are executing on something on your behalf. And the fact that you don't have to go out there and do that, take time away from whatever other business activities you're doing, whatever other job you have or whatever is immensely valuable. And so I think too often people yeah. say, well, you know, if I didn't have to pay you those fees, I wouldn't, I would have got a better return. It's like, well, if you wouldn't have paid us those fees, you would have done this yourself. A, I bet your return would have been worse most of the time, right? And B, not only would it would have been worse, it would have taken your time. And if you would have calculated the value of your time, your return is certainly much, much smaller. That is a great point. So many folks, when we're evaluating new opportunities, maybe we're purchasing from a, or evaluating a deal from kind of an owner operator. There is nowhere in that uh, T12 that we see their time calculated, right? And that's a huge uh, mistake whenever folks are thinking about investing in real estate. Well, I could just do that. You know, I'm a, it's the, it's the, I'm a mentality. I'm going to take care of that. I'm going to do that. You know, and that's, that's where people I think get kind of 
uh, in a bad position, right? Because what happens when you can't do that? What, what happens when your family gets sick or you get sick or something happens? Your portfolio, your investment doesn't uh, necessarily care. Um, you, you still have people, you still have residents and tenants that you have to you have to take care of. And so I think that's a, a, a great point to make there. So I think it's a pretty good transition over to what indirect investing is um, and, you know, the difference between just being a real estate investor. So let's Let's jump through that. I'll kick us off. You know, indirect investing or being a real estate investor is indirect ownership in a property. And instead of acquiring that property directly through your name or the name of your business, you're investing with someone um, that, you know, is involved in acquiring that asset. And um, you are not, you know, the one that has to take care of everything that we've just talked about. Right. So in exchange for your investment capital, you receive an interest uh, in the, the the fund that you're investing in or the property that you're investing in. There's a lot of benefits to this, guys. So let's talk through kind of some of those benefits of indirect investing and, and maybe what, you know, folks that are just interested in being a real estate investor need to evaluate. If they don't have to evaluate, you know, going and finding new deals and doing the operations, what are they evaluating in this scenario? Yeah, I think to start, I mean, you're evaluating, um, you know, who at the end of the day is managing this on your behalf? Right. Who are the asset managers? Who's the, the private equity fund backer, et cetera? Right. And so, and so there's a lot of ways. So let's start first about like what are the ways that you invest passively? And the one yeah. that's probably available to most people most frequently is investing in the public markets through REITs, which have been around for 30, 40 years, um, and investing in these publicly traded companies where you're going to buy stock in a publicly traded company. That REIT stock is then you're buying an interest in both the management entity as well as the portfolio of properties that that management entity manages. And so, you know, one of the easiest ways to get in, you can go in, there's lots of data available to you, although there's actually not a lot of data even when you dive into REITs about the underlying portfolios, you have, you know, various income and various whatever, but when you actually want to dig down to the underlying properties that sit within the portfolios of these REITs, it's actually a lot more difficult to do than you think. But what's the benefit of doing that, right? I mean, the biggest one is it's liquidity, right? Yeah. So it's a publicly traded stock. And so you can get in and out of a position pretty quickly and pretty easily, although, the downside to that is also that that publicly traded stock price is subject to, you know, fears or um, over aggressive nature of the psychology of Wall Street. And, you know, we often find that there are plenty of times where we would see that the value of the stock does not correlate to the value of the underlying businesses in real estate. Um, so I think, you know, start with REITs, right? And of course, you want to jump into any of this other stuff or no, I mean, I, I, no, I think that's great. Um, yeah, on the private side, obviously you're starting, you're taking a step away from liquidity. So you're making a business commitment uh, into a investment that is going to be a multi-year uh, investment. So, um, so if you're looking at individual uh, syndication or individual asset going into a deal, you're taking a look at that asset. Uh, you're taking a look at the team that's going to be executing it. And then you're making a commitment on that to, you know, stay with that over the three, uh, 10 year business plan or forever long they they're looking to invest in it. So um, it, it does uh, decrease liquidity. You have to understand what that means to you and your portfolio and your allocations and your cash needs. Um, but typically you are uh, stepping into a, uh, a less um, liquid market. Uh, there's more opportunity to go and find better deals in those markets uh, as you've had sponsors and vet deals. Um, they typically, uh, the top operators or out there in the markets, uh, generating deals with better tax advantages uh, based on the business operations. And I'd say as a 
part of that, right? So when you look at, there are multiple strategies that you can employ in real estate and have preference for, right? And so the first being core and core is, you know, long leases, newer or newly renovated buildings, long leases with great credit tenants, right? So you, you build a brand new building and you lease it out to the federal government at 100% on a 20-year lease, right? That's a class A core deal. Um, you have core plus, which maybe is missing some of that. So, right, so maybe there's great tenants, it's a newer building, but maybe the leases are a little bit shorter. Um, and so maybe that's more of a core plus type deal. Mm-hmm. You have value add, well, there's typically two or three or four or five of those things missing, right? So there's it's a building, it exists, there's cash flow, but the cash flow isn't what you want. It's it's lower than it should be. There's an opportunity there to go in and either add money to improve something, um, attract better tenancy, add better management, a whole lot of different strategies that you can employ to increase revenues, decrease operating expenses, and sometimes even pick up value on the back end from um, you know, increasing the multiple on the net income that you have there by lowering the cap rate. And then you have opportunistic. Opportunistic would be development. It would be buying uh, vacant buildings. It'd be historic adaptive reuse. So taking an older building and that's an old manufacturing, you know, we have a lot of old industrial buildings that are 12 stories tall and taking one of those buildings and converting it to multifamily. Right? Those are opportunistic investments. And when you look at it across your various opportunities to invest in passively, um, I would say the public markets do a really, really good job of uh, and they do a pretty good job with core plus. But when you look at value add and opportunistic to really get exposure in your portfolio to those risk return profiles, you're, you're really looking at the private marketplace. You're going to private developers, private fund managers, private, private equity companies, et cetera. Um, and that's the world that we live in. Yep. Right? So we want to play in the core plus, the value add, the opportunistic. That's the space that we play in. That's the space that we like. And that's the space where ultimately we as managers feel that we can add the most value. Yeah. You know, Ray Dalio wrote, uh, for my earlier failures, I knew that no matter how confident I was in making any one bet, I could still be wrong. And that proper diversification was the key to reducing risk without reducing returns, right? And so I think indirect investing or being a real estate investor gives uh, you the opportunity to maybe diversify a little more than maybe if you have only $100,000 to invest and you go buy one property in one geographic location in one strategy. Let's talk through that, guys. How can indirect investing really um, create what Dalio calls true diversification? Obviously, he's not in the commercial real estate space, but, um, you know, you get the gist here. Yeah, so, I mean, you can, let's talk about, you can invest, so how do you diversify? So, you can invest in some public, some private. You can yep. invest in different property types, office, retail, multifamily, hospitality, self-storage, et cetera. Um, you can invest in different locations. So one, start internationally. You can invest in U.S. versus European versus Asian markets versus Latin American markets versus African markets, et cetera. Um, and then even in that, from that standpoint, you can look at, uh, let's say, just you want to stay in the U.S. You can look at locations. You have the Midwest, you have the South, you have the Northeast, Southeast, Southwest, Northwest, uh, et cetera, right? And so you can get geographic diversification. And even within those geographies, you want to look at what is the makeup of those economies? Are these economies largely focused on manufacturing or services or whatever else, right? So you can go in there and say, okay, I want to get diversification because I'm going to, I'm going to even stay in the Midwest. How do I diversify within the Midwest? Well, certain markets are going to be static markets versus dynamic markets versus industrial markets, service markets, et cetera. And so you can evaluate all those things to get diversification in those spaces. And then let's just take it all the way down to the property level and say, how do I get diversification, right? Well, in an office building, you might have a diversification where you have maybe some financial services, maybe you have some insurance, maybe you have some banking, maybe you have some different tenant bases there. In a retail shopping center, 
You might have big box retailers and gyms and entertainment users and restaurants. And so you can get diversification even in your tenant base at the underlying property, right? So there's a lot of there's a lot of strategy you have to use to make sure you're getting the right tenant mix in the right markets, the right market mix, the right portfolio mix in terms of property type, geography, et cetera. And you layer all these factors on to create a diversified portfolio. Absolutely. You know, one thing we didn't really talk about was learning curve, right? I mean, there's a lot less of a learning curve with uh, what I'll say just being a real estate investor. Um, you know, managers, sponsors like ourselves have already learned the ropes and jumped through the hoops of, you know, the business of commercial real estate investing. Uh, and with indirect investing, you you really um, need to focus more on the people, right? You have to understand it at a, at a high level, but um, you need to understand uh, the people that you're investing with more. So there's a level of learning curve. You, there, you also have less of a personal risk, right? I mean, as an indirect investor, you're, you're typically not signing on loans. And so your, your risk is um, limited to the capital that you've typically put into the project, right? We just touched on diversification, uh, being able to um, have different uh, diversification like Parker just mentioned. And then here's the last point I want to make about maybe a benefit of being a real estate investor is let's talk about, you know, an apartment complex, right? The typical investor is not someone who can go buy a $15 million uh, class B multifamily asset, um, a retail asset, an office asset in a great location by themselves. And so when you invest as a real estate investor, you're able to maybe even step up the quality um, of the properties that you are able to invest in because you're pooling those resources together. So I think those four things, um, you know, for each specific investor, you need to think through learning curve, personal risk, diversification, and being, you know, able to get access to bigger and higher quality properties. And I think you have to understand too, if you're going to go buy that $15 million deal all on your own, right? You better have a very large portfolio. Otherwise, yes. your allocation scheme has gotten way out of whack. That's your right. Diversification is way out of whack. And so the ability to say, hey, instead of buying a $15 million shopping center, I'm going to buy, you know, 10% of five of those plus 10% of five office buildings or whatever. And you, you can spread out your risk by having a smaller piece of a, a larger number of deals and add diversification that way. Exactly. I think we've covered this topic really well, guys. Anything to add about being, the, you know, in the business of commercial real estate investing versus being a real estate investor? If not, I'll, I'll uh, let everybody know what the bottom line is here and we'll, we'll, we'll cap this episode here. Well, fantastic. The bottom line, right? What we talk about today, how much time and energy do you have to commit to your investments? How much capital do you have to invest? And are you willing to commit to the education required to become an active investor. You know, the appeal of the appeal of indirect investing uh, or just being a real estate investor is really the avoidance of headaches, you know, for savvy, affluent investors with little time to spare uh, because of their business or career demands, the indirect route is often preferred. Now, if you want to take the risk and you, you have that, um, you know, knowledge, experience and relationships to be an active investor, obviously, you know, all for it. But that's with the difference between being in the business of commercial real estate investing versus being a real estate investor. Anything else to add, guys, before we cap off here? Fantastic. Well, you've been listening to the Invest for the Win show, where we're bringing insights to you every single week about investing in commercial real estate and talking to uh, really high-level folks and asking them the hard questions. Thanks for tuning in. Thank you for tuning in to Invest for the Win. 
If you found this episode valuable, please take a moment to share it with a friend you think could benefit from the insights of our experts. Also, don't forget to take a moment to leave us a rating and review. Visit investforthewin.com to learn more.